Two men on a mission to change the face of the organ world. Driven by their passion for the king of instruments, these two seek to share their love of the pipe organ with as many people as possible. Through their own arrangements of popular film, TV, and video game music, our hosts use their unconventional approaches to inspire pipe organ enthusiasts, both young and old, and to bring new audiences to this magnificent instrument. Together with you, they will journey through the fascinating world of the pipe organ, always eager and never afraid to break with tradition. Rob Labinsky and Johnny Salimovich are the Organ Mavericks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Organ Mavericks podcast. I am your host, Rob Labinsky. And I'm your other host, Johnny Salimovich. This is episode 14, and today we're going to be looking at the ancient history of the pipe organ and its um, development into the instrument that we all know and love today. Before we begin with this episode, though, we just have a couple of announcements that we wanted to make you guys aware of. The way our schedule goes as far as uh, releasing episodes, we release them every two weeks. And if we were to keep with that schedule, our next episode after this would be released on Christmas Day. We figure some of you out there probably have better things to be doing on Christmas Day. So we have decided that we're actually going to take just a little bit of a break over the holidays um, just because things things get kind of crazy and, you know, we have time with family and it's difficult to record episodes in there. So we will, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we will be back starting January 8th of 2020. So that's when you can look for our next episode. Indeed, Rob. And for the next announcement that we have for you, Rob and I have officially announced that on December 12th, Rob will be premiering the My Little Pony uh, pipe organ recital that we have mentioned a few episodes ago, and we have officially titled it A Hearth Swarming Tale Organified. On December 12th, again, is when it will be premiering on Rob's channel, and I shouldn't forget to mention to the time it will be premiering, which will be at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, that is, in, that is on December 12th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Rob's YouTube channel, which you will find that in the episode notes down below. And if you happen to miss out on the premiere of it, don't worry about it. The recital is still up there on Rob's channel for you to watch afterwards. In case you have missed the premiere, again, don't worry about it. It is still up on Rob's YouTube channel for you to watch on your own time. And so with us uh, done with the announcements here, let us uh, continue with uh, the let us continue with the programming as usual here. So uh, since since uh, to be uh, quite fair, I don't really know too much about the history of the pipe organ. I do know some itty bits here and there, though, uh, quite honestly, uh, I'm it's pretty much a new perspective on my end. So Rob is going to be mostly leading the way here since he knows more about the history of the pipe organ than I do, though history in of itself is a really interesting topic. And so I definitely want to walk through with Rob here as to how the history of uh, the pipe organ was and how the pipe organ came to be. 
due to what has happened in the past history. And I'm sure that you fellow uh, Mavericks out there would definitely want to hear as well how the history of the pipe organ was. And uh, as for the uh, as for the sources that we used, we will be uh, citing our sources in the episode in the episode show notes, of course. And so, without further ado, Rob, uh, you can uh, you may uh, continue. All right. So when we think of the pipe organ, you know, we think of this, you know, grand instrument, you know, usually found in a church, you know, with thousands and thousands of pipes and you have, you know, multiple manuals and so many different sound colors that you can choose from. And it all comes together in this magnificent orchestral instrument, you know, and this, this is what we think of, you know, when we think of the organ nowadays. You know, but if you think back in history, obviously the instrument didn't just start that way, you know, and so, you know, you look back and you look back at, you know, who were, you know, prominent composers and you look at, you know, the French Renaissance and you look into classical music and, of course, you can't mention the pipe organ without going to the great Johann Sebastian Bach, you know, who's kind of the grandfather of the modern organ and, you know, and and so we think of those, you know, we think of those Baroque instruments, you know, where Bach, you know, composed and performed all of his music. And, you know, and even those were some pretty grand instruments in what they can do. But to to really trace back the origins of the pipe organ, you have to go back even farther than the Baroque, farther than the Renaissance, farther than the Middle Ages. In fact, we are going more than 2,000 years into the past to start this journey. We're actually going all the way back to the 3rd century BC in Greece. Um, and this is, this is where we really have the, the first origins of what, what would be considered the pipe organ. So the, the name that I came across, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. I think it's let me try this again. Tesebius, I believe, is what it is. There's a C at the B. I'll just spell it. Tesebius, I think. Tesebius, yeah. It's spelled C T E S I B I U S of Alexandria. And he is really kind of credited with the the first iteration of the pipe organ. But it's it's nothing like the instrument we know today. In fact, it, it was actually more known as a water organ, or I think the the term I came across was the hydraulis, or hydraulius. Yeah, hydraulis. It looks like it's hydraulis. Hydraulis. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I know there were some variations on that, but the the instrument that you know became you know the pipe organ that we know today was this water organ, and. You know, unlike today where, you know, we have the bellows and the wind chest that, you know, provide all the air for the pipes, the air that moved through these pipes was generated by flowing water. And this water was either from a natural source, such as a waterfall or, you know, like a fast-moving stream, or it could also be, uh, the water could also be pumped in to move the air that would then flow into the pipes. One of the one of the the really cool things that I found um, when when I was you know when I was doing some of this research was that I think the way they phrased it is like the Greeks didn't treat it as a plaything. I'm not really sure what was meant by that. Like so, I'm wondering like if they didn't think of it as like a, a musical instrument, 
or, you know, if it was a, you know, if or a plaything, you know, just meant, well, it wasn't like a kid's toy. Like, it was a serious, it was a serious piece of equipment, um, you know, that, that they had. Um, but I, I saw that one of the, one of the things that it was used for was it was used to imitate birdsong. Um, and, you know, and so the pipes would be arranged in such a way that, you know, when, when the air flowed through them, it, it would imitate different bird calls. This actually has a really cool tie-in back in the mid-20th century with the French composer Olivier Messiaen, um, who was a composer that I actually studied fairly in-depth when I was in college. But he was fascinated with birds and different bird songs and did a ton of research into them. And incorporated different bird calls into his organ music. So it's really kind of cool to see that, you know, like his work kind of brought the organ full circle to where it began. Um, you know, and I've, I, I've looked at, you know, I, I've looked at a number of his pieces and, and you can hear, you know, what he's trying to imitate the different things. And so that's really cool. Obviously, we have no idea what those... Um, you know, what those third century organs sounded like. We do have, you know, there is some idea. If we move forward in time about 500 years, um, back in the 20th century, an, an organ was discovered, a water organ was discovered in Hungary that had an inscription that dated to 222 AD. So, you know, we're, we're looking at third century. Um, you know, we have an intact... Um, part, parts of an intact water organ and like obviously some of the mechanisms you know the leather and things like that you know had decayed over the centuries but the pipes were actually still fairly well preserved and um, in studying them the people were able to, to to get some kind of idea of what the the tonal quality of the instrument was so uh, you know as I said you know we started out in Greece um <clears throat> You know, and then as we, you know, as we start to progress through, you know, obviously, you know, the Romans took the, you know, took the instrument and kind of expanded upon it. And so, you know, it moved through the Roman and the Byzantine eras. Um, and then, let's see here, I lost track of where I was in my notes. Um, let's see, it. Um, you know, it looks like, it, you know, a lot of the, the development, you know, was kind of in Eastern Europe, Middle East, um, you know, during, um, you know, the, the, the first millennium. And then it looks like, you know, the, the water organ reached Western Europe around the 13th century. And from there, it, it, it continued, the water organ itself continued to be developed and um, improved, you know, and, and, and different, different things were added to it. Um, and what I found really interesting about it is um, there, there's, a, there's a split um, right around the 8th or 9th century where we, where we move from water-generated air to um, uh, air-generated by bellows, you know, so human production of the air as opposed to the water. But the, um, the water organs actually continued to, to be developed well into the 18th century um, and were used in a variety of different places. One of the coolest things about this instrument is it was actually able to be automated. You know, we, we think of automation, you know, we think of, you know, nowadays, you know, instruments being able to play themselves, you know, with computers and technology and things. But it was actually possible 
because they used flowing water to basically like pre-program songs into these instruments. Um, and so like, you know, I, I was reading, you know, they would be used in like palaces and gardens, but a lot of times the, these water organs were actually used, you know, in places where they were hidden. So you couldn't actually see the instrument. You could just hear the sound. Um, you know, and I thought it was really cool. And, you know, with that automation, they had, um, you know, like they had bells that were added to it. And, um, one of the things I was reading actually even talked about like automatons. So like figures that would like, you know, move and dance, you know, kind of if you think like, you know, like early music boxes kind of things, um, you know, that, that could, you know, things that could be controlled by these water organs. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's really cool, you know, just, just how far this instrument came and how much it got developed and continued to be used through the centuries. As far as I'm aware, what you just uh, shared with us, that is mostly really new to me. The only yeah, okay. uh, thing that I briefly looked up was that uh, the very first origins of uh, the pipe organ came from ancient Greece, and I didn't really look uh, more deeper into that until um, until you told us recently, and uh, yeah. I'm actually really glad I heard this, because this is really interesting inf This is really interesting history yeah. so far, and uh, yeah, I'm yet to see a lot more here. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's really interesting to look into that, you know, and obviously, you know, the, the scope of the instrument was, was very limited, you know, in terms of, you know, what we think as a pipe organ, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at something, you know, that's probably, you know, between 12 and 24 pipes, you know, so we're not looking at, at very large instruments, um, you know, just, just, just due to the nature of how, of how the, the air was supplied. Um, although <laughs> I did see, I, I, I did come across one interesting fact. Um, and I guess these instruments could actually be quite loud. I, I saw something and I, I think that, I, I think this was coming from like a, like a, a, you know, a, a source, like at the time the instrument was created, but it was saying that, you know, the sound from, you know, this one particular water organ in the, in the Byzantine empire could be heard, uh, for over 60 miles away. Wow, <laughs> that was pretty loud. I'm going to go ahead and doubt that you could hear an instrument that far away. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, especially uh, yeah, due to the uh, variable scale of it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or... well, we'll just say, you know, um, you know, standards of measurement are not what they are today. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much it might be a little bit over-exaggerated. Just, just a little bit. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um. So as you know, as I was saying, um, you know, it was somewhere around the. Um, it actually looks like the the it was in the kind of the sixth, somewhere in the sixth and seventh century, um, was kind of where we have the split from the water organ into what we more commonly think of as a pipe organ, um, and again, this dates back to the Byzantine Empire and. Um, you know, they kind of, they, they, they took the idea of using bellows to supply the wind. So instead of having to have, you know, the natural source or, you know, pumping water through, you know, you could have, you know, people stand there and pump bellows that would supply the wind. Um, and, and like I said, you know, this is kind of where the pipe organ breaks off and begins, you know, really begins to become its own instrument at this point. So from the Byzantine Empire to um, Europe, where it, where it really began to come into prominence and be developed a lot more, 
Um, in 757, uh, Constantine V, who was the Byzantine emperor, gave a pipe organ to Pepin the Short, who was king of the France at the time. Um, and this is what really kind of established the organ in, um, in European church music. And I know um, Pepin's son Charlemagne also had requested an organ to be built in in this same style um and i think that i think the pipes were made of lead which carries through to this day because we still use lead in making our pipes yeah and i believe uh, tin is also a metal that would be used for the pipes as well yes hmm. and uh if you don't mind uh, me breaking uh, uh breaking off a little bit from here yep. i'm curious to know about uh like how and like how and why uh pipes are mainly still using uh, tin and or lead to this day when we know there are a lot more metals out there to use. Would you happen to know uh, why uh, pipes back then and even uh, pipes manufactured today still mainly use uh, tin and or lead? Yes. So it really comes down to tone quality um, and what kind of resonance that you can get from the pipe. The, the actual preferred metal to be used in pipes is tin, the reason it's mixed in with lead, that lead gets mixed in with it, is that tin is fairly expensive. And so, you know, when when the the technology was being developed, you know, with the pipes and looking to make more cost-effective ways and still maintain, you know, the, the sound and the tone quality, it was discovered that, you know, you could mix the lead and tin together and you really fairly well maintained the tone quality um, from that amalgam than you did with just the tin and it was obviously much cheaper you know because you could basically i don't i don't know what the mixture is but it's probably somewhere around a 50 50 um mixture of the two elements and so you know it drastically cuts down on the cost of the pipes without cutting down the sound quality that's cool yeah, I was pretty curious as to, you know, why the materials uh, were stayed like that. But uh, yeah, that's actually really, that's a really thing to, that's a really cool thing to know for sure. Yeah. That uh, it that what it all came down to was basically just uh, tone quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, uh, because if other metals were used, the tone quality would not be that great, I assume. You know, it just it it depends on on the metal that's used. Like I know that for some reed pipes, copper is actually used um, because it has it has a more brassy, bright quality to it, uh -huh. um, which would obviously be desirable for reeds. You know, so there are different metals that are used for different reasons. But if you're looking for something that's going to replicate a flute sound or a string or even a principal, uh, you know, you're going to go with that that metal mixture there. I see. Interesting. And so, moving on from there, if we if we hop, what do they, what do they say? Ho, no, hopping the pond is going from England to America. Skip Skipping that. the pond. Um, yeah, that's not what I want. We're going across the English Channel. There's the one I'm looking for. <laughs> Got to get mm -hmm. my body of bodies of water straight here. So the the first English organ was built in the Winchester Cathedral in the 10th century, and this instrument had 400 pipes. It took two people to play and 70 people to provide the air power for it. Wow. Also, apparently, could be heard all throughout the town. Now, this I would believe. I know that there are instruments that are very loud. If you think of calliopes, like riverboat calliopes, oh, yeah. um, 
those could be heard for miles around. So I, I would believe, you know, that you could make the sound. But I, I, I thought that was an interesting, interesting little note that it took 70 people to provide the air for it. Wow, that, <laughs> wow. I did, oh yeah, that actually would make a lot of sense with uh, back then because electricity did not exist like yes. way back then. So <laughs> there has to be some way, there has to be some way or another for people to provide uh, the air to the air bellows for the pipe organs at the time. So yeah, let's just say back then uh, up to that point, there definitely needed to be a lot of manpower to provide <laughs> all that air. Yeah. And obviously that's a tradition that will continue until the advent of electricity many, many hundreds of years later. Yeah, which uh, we'll dive a little bit more deep in that afterwards, of course. Yep. So it's jumping forward a couple more centuries to the 12th century. This is this is where the pipe organ really starts to develop into a much more complex instrument. You know, obviously, as we saw, you know, that the organ in the Winchester Cathedral had 400 pipes, you know, and that's 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 quite a strep up from the 12 that we began with, um, you know, but is still, you know, tiny in comparison to the instruments that we have today, you know. And so, you know, as organs, you know, you know, builders began, you know, experimenting with different things, you know, the the instruments began to expand. One of the big problems, though, that you know, organs still have at this time is, you know, while they have all these pipes and while they have all these different sounds, there's no way to control individual stops or individual sounds. Stops did not exist at this point. Um, you know, so they're, it, they were very limited in, you know, what you could do as far as, as different sound qualities went. It's not until the 15th century that we really start to see the development of stops and the ability for, you know, people playing the organ to be able to, you know, close off certain pipes, you know, and so allow other ones to sound. And so then you can begin to select, you know, different um, you know, d different sound qualities, different sound colors to use, you know, and begin to have, you know, more complexity in the sound and more in what you can do with the instrument. And so then once, once you have the invention of the stops, you know, then, you know, really the, the possibilities of the instrument become exponentially greater because now, you know, you can have so many different sounds and, you know, you can combine them in different ways and, you know, the instrument becomes much more versatile um, in, in what it can do. And, you know, and it's from here that they really start to grow in size and become much larger instruments that are capable of doing a lot more. Oh my, wow. So stops did not exist until that time, like yep. until the mid-15th century. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I have to imagine that there was probably there were probably some other rudimentary forms of being able, you know, to select certain pipes, you know, but you know, the 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 um oh what's the word I'm looking for? You know, basically having, you know, f the the ability to to change everything around on the organ, you know, and and select very specific pipes um, you know, was not something that came into prominence, you know, until the 1400s. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Because uh, yeah, they probably didn't have the that idea of having uh, different uh, stops until until that around that time. That makes sense for sure. Due to the complexity of it, after they were expanding it more and more, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. 
And strangely enough, actually, I remembered that there was a certain uh, that there was a certain uh, organ that was built at around the 1300s. Uh, at a medieval uh, at a medieval fortress in uh, Switzerland, uh, the source that we're seeing here didn't really mention that particular uh, organ. And uh, Diane Bish uh, did a documentary episode on her uh, on her series uh, "The Joy of Music." She did an episode about that particular organ in uh, I'm trying I see in Zion, uh, Switzerland. I believe it's yeah where it is. That was a uh, <clears throat> Yeah, that was built at around the 1300s. And uh, in that particular episode that she showed on the internet, thanks to YouTube, I was able to watch it and see like how it was functioning. And apparently the few stops that they had there were like really big levers that I don't know if it controlled one particular stop or if it controlled multiple stops. And I did remember in that particular episode too that there was a... Uh, quote-unquote some modern stops added to that one like they upgraded it a while back well as of the time that as of the time as of the time that particular episode was recorded of uh, the joy of music by mm -hmm. dan diane dish and the such yeah, those, you know, those, those early stops definitely were levers. And this is where, you know, you actually go to it taking more people to play the organ because, you know, they, the, these levers were fairly heavy. And so they were not easy to just be changed. And so, you know, you would need, in addition to, you know, whoever is playing the notes on the keys, you would need two to four, possibly even six people to be um, manning the stops and changing them for the organist. Um you know, and this is also a tradition that continued um, for for quite a long time, you know, of needing people to, you know, to pull stops. Honestly, it's actually a tradition that continues today. There are there are organs out there that exist that don't have, um, you know, that don't have the, the computer components to allow you to, you know, pre-program your stops. And so... You know, you if you're if the instrument is complex enough, you actually have to have people to stand there and pull stops. Mm -hmm. When, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I think we're gonna be getting a little bit more into that in the in the in the upcoming eras uh, regarding those uh, regarding uh, the larger organs that still require quote unquote uh, uh, stop pullers or something like that. Is mm -hmm. the the yeah. role for them? I think yes. stop pullers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So was there more that you were going to mention uh, for the medieval part? No, the only thing I was going to mention is this that um you know the the whole process, you know the whole um the whole thing of, you know, stop pullers is still exists today when mm -hmm. I was um at school at Indiana University, one of the instruments that we had was a tracker organ that did not have did not have any um you know, any ability to pre-program. And so anyone who gave a recital on this instrument needed to have one or two people pulling stops um, because they were actual levers that you would pull to pull the stops on and turn them off. Uh -huh. so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And this uh, would uh, this would uh, actually uh, properly, or should I say, smooth, that will allow us to now smoothly transition to the Renaissance and Baroque periods, actually, which was where stop pullers were still needed and of course also still to this day because uh, as far as i'm aware there are still a lot of renaissance and baroque organs that are still functioning to this day and uh, yeah they're just yeah 
uh, they're just marvels of uh, engineering. Yep. That they're, the, that they're still working to this day. Yep. Uh, one quick thing before we go on to the the Renaissance and the Baroque is, um, you know, we t- we talked about how the pipe organ split off, you know, from the water organ. Uh-huh. Well, there was actually another split um, back in the 13th century, and you know the the pipe organs were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and so you know they were used in you know these large cathedrals. But they were, it was, the instrument was really becoming desirable in, in church music. The problem is these instruments are massive and extremely expensive. So in, uh, somewhere around the 12th and 13th century, um, the, the, um, the portative organ or positive organ came into prominence. And this is basically a, you know, a, a portable organ. Think of it as the upright piano version of 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 the pipe organ. Um, these were much smaller instruments, you know, that could be, you know, produced much more, um, you know, uh, inexpensively, and you know, could be used in smaller churches, even in homes. Um, obviously, we're talking about you know wealthy homes, you know, manors, and you know, and even in you know castles and things like that. Um, because you know this it, the instrument was definitely becoming very popular and so there needed to be a way you know for for more people to have access to it and so that's where you know that's where these portative organs began to develop and kind of split off you know and if we think of it today you know we think of things like the harmonium or the reed organ came out of came out of this era mm-hmm. and uh also i believe the electronic uh, organs as well like the hammond uh, the very well-known Hammond organs, too, I believe, also came from that uh, that split, too, and yes. such. Though, of course, uh, as we did mention in the in the in an episode uh, in in the far back episode, I believe it was two or three, where we compared different organs. Uh, yeah, we make we would need to probably make something clear again that even though there are still pipe organs to this day, there. are also, such a thing as uh, digital pipe organs, which they are operated electronically. However, they are not exactly the same as a Hammond organ. There are different, <laughs> there are complete differences between the both of them. They are very, very different. Oh yeah, for sure. Even though both of them work, you know, electronically speaking, they both work, you know, extremely differently. Such, uh, but yeah. So let's uh, resume from uh, where we left off. Uh, oh yeah, the po- yeah the positive. Yes, you were mentioning, uh, yeah, the positive. Yes, so, as far as I uh, can gather here, you were you were to elaborate to elaborate and uh, yeah to elaborate what you were saying is basically there was another yet another split of uh, another split with uh, the pipe organ uh, continuing on its own thing while the positive brought up a new or uh, a new breed of organs from there, like you did mention yes. already before the reed organs came from that. Yep. And that actually makes a lot of sense now that I uh, think of it. So moving on then into the Renaissance and Baroque. And, you know, as, as I said, kind of in the introduction, you know, this is this is where, you know, we start to find, you know, the pipe organ that we think of, you know, in modern times. And, you know, with with the, you know, the advent of stops, you know, and, you know, new new techniques new technology technology makes me think of computers when i say it you know but you know it definitely you know definitely you know things being developed in how you know how the instruments could be produced and things you know really allowed organ builders to 
you know, to, to develop new things and new stops. And, you know, and this is, this is where we first start to see, you know, organ builders trying to, trying to actually have their stops imitate certain instruments. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, things like a crumhorn or uh, a gamba, you know, we, we start to see, you know, builders being able to do a lot more, um, you know, and, you know, if you, it, it, you know, if you, if you were familiar with the term Baroque, you know, it means, you know, like highly decorated or ornamented. And, you know, so not only was, you know, not only was the organ, you know, expanding in, you know, in terms of what it could play and, you know, and the, the color palette that it was able to draw from, but, you know, this was this was a time when you know architectural styles were really, really starting to explode. Um, you know, you saw this in the Renaissance, and it lead in led into the Baroque, and this is where you start to get really, really fancy um, casings for the pipes. You know, where there is you know, as opposed to you know just having a box that the pipes are in, you know, or having them set somewhere where they can't be seen. You know, now they're in these cases that are you know highly decorated and ornamented, you know, and you start getting like, you know, gold inlaid, you know, in these cases. And, and, and so not only do these instruments sound magnificent, but they also look fantastic, you know, and obviously that's a, that is a tradition that, you know, is carried in today into, you know, we, we, we make, we make, we try to make, you know, many of our pipe organs look really nice. Obviously, we don't go quite to the, the style of ornamentation that they did in the Baroque area area era um um you know but this is where you know builders were really able to focus on on more than just the sound you know they were they were able to you know focus on the visual aspect of it well as well and it's you know it's really kind of cool that this you know happened because you know obviously it is such a big instrument and it's very prominent in you know, churches and in concert halls and wherever it is. And so to, you know, to be able to, to be able to decorate it and adorn it, you know, and have it, you know, look just as glorious as it sounds is, is I, I think really uh, a nice addition to the instrument. Yeah. And I think uh, there was something we might have forgotten to mention earlier is that I believe from the very beginning when, uh, when uh, the pipe, when uh, the pipe organ, uh, or water organ was first made in uh, ancient uh, Greece. I believe we forgot to mention too was uh, was also at that very moment was when track was when the tracker system was invented, or was it a little bit after that? Mm, I'm I'm not sure. I actually didn't come across that. Um, I would assume that that was the system that they used. <laughs> yeah, I would think so too. Like the tracker, like the tracker system for opening up pipes from the key i believe it might have started all the way uh all the way back in ancient greece <clears throat> yeah the tracker system and of course the tracker yeah the tracker systems were of course still being used for the renaissance and uh, baroque organs here yes and there of course will be another a uh, few more um systems of uh opening uh opening pipes or even uh, opening uh pipes and the such uh we'll we'll elaborate that a little bit uh more when we get a little bit closer to the modern era, but yes. let's continue. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the term tracker organ, um, basically the the way that you know when we're when we're looking at you know all these instruments, um, you know in this era and and moving forward until you know the 
um, you know, until we get electricity and things like that coming in. Basically, what would happen is when you push down a key, it pulls a string through a series of pulleys that directly connects you to the pipe. And that, that string that's used is called a tracker. And so that's when, you know, when we talk about tracker organs. Basically, what that means is there is a direct physical connection from where you push the key to where the air is let into the pipe. Whereas, you know, with modern pneumatic or electronic instruments, um, you know, now it's a it's a it's a um, an electrical signal that is sent from where you push the keys um, to where the air is let in. So that's that's the difference there. So when we look at the when we look at you know the development of the instrument in in the Renaissance and Baroque. We're primarily looking at Germany. This is where a lot of the development came during this time. The Netherlands also played a little bit of a role um, in in the development, um, you know, and, and and certainly there were instruments in other countries, you know, France, Italy, Spain, um, you know. But I, I I think those countries their their musical styles at the time were a little more reserved, and so you know the instruments weren't weren't being used quite the same way as they were, you know, like, as I said, you know, if you think of Bach or Buxtehude, you know, in this era where, you know, the pieces are becoming really elaborate, you don't necessarily find as much of that in other countries at the time. Um, and so it's, it will be, it, it's a little bit later that you'll start to see um, the influence of other countries on the pipe organ. Well, yes. And another thing that I am not really seeing here in the sources here from what I also remembered uh, seeing, uh, especially with uh, some videos on uh, YouTube with uh, people playing on the Baroque organs, I actually have noticed, too, that not all uh, Baroque organs uh, had some sort of, uh, uh, for, um, basically, the manual or keyboard layout was not very consistent across all of these Baroque organs at the time. And even yep. in France and the such, they, yeah, the keyboard layout or manual layout or manual slash keyboard layout was not that consistent it was not <laughs> yeah it definitely wasn't especially with uh the keyboard layout and or on organs from the netherlands and even in germany and england and france i've been noticing definitely there's either very subtle similarities or subtle differences mm-hmm. and uh the such and uh yep. i believe that there's uh, going to be a certain point where we will uh mention uh when a certain standard came came in and uh i believe we're going to be mentioning that soon as part of its history i think so um yeah and the, sa- the same goes for the pedal boards there there was no oh, standards yeah. as to how many pedals they would have um mm-hmm. you know that's why you know if you look at you know some of box music you know you see it doesn't go past a certain point and you know we have a lot more keys than that nowadays um you know but they the 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 compass of the manuals was not 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 nearly what it is nowadays mm-hmm uh, yes. So. Yeah, that's the term compass or yes. layout. Yep. Both of those words can um, yeah correlate. Yep. I've even seen I've even seen span the word span used. Mm. Okay. Cool. So. Yeah, I think that's it. As that's it from uh, my part for that. Yeah, I, I just uh, basically wanted to mention about that uh, inconsistency with the keyboard layout. Yeah. Back on back then with the baroque organs. From what I've observed. Let's see, and I think it, I think it was like the Renaissance and Baroque where we started there. We started to see the development of you know more than one chamber on the organ, so that you know you could you could group different pipes together, um, 
you know, and this is where this is where you you begin to start seeing um, the swell boxes. So you know, having that having that ability to control the sound. This is something that becomes much more prominent as we move into the romantic. But this is where this is where you start seeing, you know, some some of the more quote unquote modern features of the organ. So moving from there, we move into the romantic era, and this is where things really began to take off. Um, you know, we you know, and this is this is this is where the the French. Um, kind of take over, and this is where we think of um, Aristide Cavaille-Cole um, is is kind of the big name when it comes to organs in the during the Romantic era. You know, the technology is is rapidly advancing, and so you know, not only can you can you add more pipes and more sounds to the organ, but it's also getting easier to play. Um, you know, one thing that one thing that we didn't mention with these early organs is. Um, these instruments were very, very heavy to play. You know, think about how easy it is to sit down and play at a piano, you know, and just, you know, play and, you know, essentially, you know, all of that comes from, you know, your hands and wrists. The, our modern day organs are even simpler and really all of the, all of the work can come right from your fingers on the organ. When we talk about, you know, these tracker organs in, you know, the Renaissance and Baroque, the the more trackers you added, the more stops you had, the more pipes you were playing, the heavier the keys became and the harder they became to play, you know, to the point where if, you know, in the Baroque era, you wanted to play full organ, you were using your entire arm strength to be able to play an instrument, um, you know, and so, you know, as the technology starts to advance, you know, the builders found ways, you know, to to simplify the process, to take some of that weight off of what the you know the organist has to play. And I I've played on some older trackers where every time every stop you pull on it gets heavier and heavier, and it's insane just how fast it gets almost impossible to play. <laughs> oh wow! You know, so these, these 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 organists had to have had some strong fingers. Oh man. Yes, and I almost forgot to mention a specific term I wanted to briefly uh, point out. I don't know if I already mentioned it earlier, though. When uh, when I when we were mentioning a little bit earlier that uh, it required uh, that a uh, baroque uh, or just organs uh, back then that had more stops, especially the baroque organs definitely needed more quote unquote manpower to help out with everything, not just with the stops but with the air bellows. The specific term I've been that I almost forgot to mention was, uh, well, of course we had a stop puller's role, but I believe I completely forgot to mention this earlier that there is a certain phrase that I believe we still use to this day. Even if you don't even play the pipe organ, you may have heard this phrase w once or who knows how many times before, but I'm pretty, sh I'm pretty darn sure you may have heard of this phrase before. And that phrase that I'm referring to is pulling all the stops yep. when you're trying to do something <laughs> When you're trying to go all out on something, you would you would randomly say, "I'm gonna pull all the stops." And apparently, that phrase comes from comes from pipe organs themselves because there's a lot of stops to pull, and hence that's where the phrase "pulling all the stops" comes from. It For those does, of you who have been wor wor wondering about that, it does indeed, and I, I it, it 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 makes me so happy anytime I hear somebody, "Oh, I'm gonna pull out all the stops." Yay! <laughs> yep, because immediately you were you're referencing a pipe organ right yep. there. Because that's <laughs> yeah, that's where the term came from. Yes. 
So let's continue. So, yes. So, you know, we were talking about Cavaicol and the French, you know, the French romantic instruments. And these is where, this is where you really start to develop these massive instruments. And, you know, multiple divisions, you know, becomes very common, you know, whereas, you know, in, in Baroque instruments, you know, you see two, three, occasionally four divisions on the larger instruments, you know, these become much more common. The divisions themselves become much bigger, and the ability to enclose the divisions becomes becomes much more common, and, um, you know, and so, you know, you're, you're able to have, you know, a much greater control over the sound, and this is where, you know, we talk about, I, I talk about, you know, the organ is a, a one-man symphony orchestra. Well, this, that's where that comes from, you know, is this development in, you know, in France during the Romantic era. This is where, you know, you start getting, you know, string stops that sound much more true to the string quality. You know, you get so many more reeds in there, um, you know, and and so you know the the um, the the range of what you can do musically just you know becomes um, you know so much greater at this point. And this is you know this is where you see composers really starting to push the limits of what the instrument can do. This is where you know you start with um, composers like Cesar Franck, you know, developing the the organ symphony because you know this instrument you know, that could always do a lot, can now do so much more, you know, and with having, you know, multiple manuals and multiple, you know, different, you know, tone palettes that you can draw from, you know, now you can do, you know, you can, you can make a symphony for one person to play, um, you know, and, and this, this really became the, kind of the standard for, you know, the development of organ coming into modern times, you know, and this is, you know, where, um, you know, builders, you know, ability to work, you know, with different metals and, you know, shape the pipes in different ways to be able to create all these sounds, you know, really just, really just kind of, um, you know, grows really, really fast. And, you know, and you, and this is, you know, where you, you start to see, um, I feel like I'm repeating myself <laughs> terribly with this, um, you know, but it's just, you know, it, it's where you start to see the organ being able to truly do just about anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and what was I seeing? Um, you were talking about the oh, material. The oh, pipes. I know what it was. I, you know, oh, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't the pipes. This is the, this is also where, um, you know, builders begin coming up with ways to have registrations preset into the instruments. Um, you know, so that, you know, you have, you know, instead, you know, instead of having, you know, 10 to 15 stops, you now you have 30 or 40 stops. Obviously, this becomes much more difficult to manage. Well, now, you know, builders begin to develop better ways to manage these so that, you know, so that it's possible, you know, to to accommodate all the, the different changes and quickly change them. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yeah, you were mentioning a little earlier there was a certain something that would allow tracker organs to allow you to play much more stops. And uh, according to a source that I'm reading from, it's uh, I don't know if I heard you say this already, but it's uh, known as the uh, Barker lever, uh, or the English Barker lever. Like basically, oh, there yes. was an English uh, builder who invented the Barker lever, uh, the Barker lever solution for the tracker organs to play more stops. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. I have to I'll have to look into that a little bit more. 
Um, yeah, because that's new to me with how they were able to resolve it. I'm looking, I'm looking at this right now. It says it was a pneumatic system uh, which multiplies the force of the finger on the keys of a tracker organ and employs wind pressure of the organ to inflate small bellows called pneumatics to overcome the resistance of the valves in the organ's wind chest. So basically what it sounds like is it used the air pressure from the organ to, um, you know, to, to basically alleviate some of the work that was needed to press the keys. Um, I, I, I don't know all the inner workings of organs and how all of that goes. So I, you know, I, I, I kind of understand, you know, the description of it, but, you know, how d trying to visualize how that actually works, you know, in a practical sense is kind of eluding me right now. Um, but, you know, it, it, it makes sense, you know, use, using the instrument to make the work easier. Mm -hmm. what, is, what, what is that phrase? Work, work smarter, not harder. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, yes, yes. Yep. Indeed. Yep, and indeed, uh, the Romantic era was was indeed where um, organs, you know, had a lot more, you know, voices added on to it uh, of all different types of a uh, tonal variety that that uh, pipe organs, I believe, from the Romantic era could finally be used more in concert halls, along with orchestras, or even by themselves to perform even recitals by themselves to this day, which <laughs> we did mention a little earlier, the uh, the hearthstorming tale organified is one really good example of that and the such and many other uh, uh, concerts and uh, recitals that feature that feature the pipe organ due to its uh, uh, due to its extreme versatility, all because yep. of uh, all of this that happened. Yep. Then. So as we talk about, you know, the, the, the development of, you know, ways to set stop combinations and, you know, and pneumatics being developed, you know, this, this is really what kind of transitions us into the modern element, the modern era. So, you know, we get the pneumatic and then we get the electro-pneumatic action, you know, and this, this completely revolutionizes the instrument. You know, it's become, you know, it's become this huge, massive instrument while now that you have, you know, electronic control over it, suddenly the console doesn't have to be where the pipes are anymore. You know, this is this is something we haven't we haven't talked about in everything else. You know, when you know everything up to this point, the console is extremely close to the pipes, to just to you know for the ability to play. You know, but when when electronics come into play, you know now the organ can be located anywhere in the room. Or not even in the room, um, you know, and, you know, and this is where, you know, you get the development of, you know, memory and, you know, and the, the pistons that we used, you know, to set our registrations so that, you know, now instead of needing, you know, two to four people to be pulling stops for you all the time, you can now do it yourself. And so, you know, and we get the development of, you know, electric bellows. And so now you don't have to have somebody pump the organ. So where, you know, organ used to be a team sport, now one person can do everything, you know. And this, you know, this, you know, led to really kind of an explosion of, you know, people being able to play the organ because now, you know, you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to get three of your best friends to be like, hey, I'm going to go practice the organ. Who wants a workout? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, now you can just go and practice. And so, you know, it becomes much more commonplace and, you know, much more, it becomes a much more accessible instrument because of that. 
you know, and obviously, you yep. know, we when we look at, you know, composers, they had students. And so, you know, who was pumping the bellows? Their students were pumping the bellows. You know, that's where it came from. It's like, oh, you want to earn your lesson this week? I'm practicing for three hours. Get pumping. So, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, when electricity was first, uh, was first, uh, was first introduced, it definitely changed uh, so much uh, as to what the capabilities of the organ are, which uh, what we already discussed. Yeah. yeah, which yeah, from the looks of it, I believe the electricity first became more common uh, at around the mid or late eighteen hundreds, and that's yes. where the the advancements of a. Uh, organ instruments with electricity was able to come in and it, when it comes to the location of the organ console not only was it possible to have uh, the organ console be you know away from the pipes for once <clears throat> yeah which is a lot more possible th- thanks to electricity though even uh, nowadays there are still some uh, concert halls from what i've been noticing that ha- that would actually that would tend to have at least two organ consoles one fixed yes. at the organ and another remote mm-hmm. so that it would be possible to play it either up up there where the pipes are or on the stage remotely which yep. is really cool and uh that would be later on with the introduction of a uh, fiber optics because uh, yes. uh, i even though uh, copper wiring might do its thing i believe optic wiring was able to transfer a lot more data quickly yeah most such. most most modern organs, if not all modern organs that aren't trackers, are using fiber optic cable. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, what I know, I'm, ge- oh. I'm getting, I'm really spoiled by the fact that my current console is extremely movable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, yes. And uh, this, um, oh yeah, during the modern era, like I don't, what uh, there were also more, uh, there were also happened to be more uh, American. Uh, North American uh, builders that came into play um, yes. either in the late 18th century or 19th century. Somewhere around the 18th and 19th century was when they came in. Yes. Uh, and along with those names, uh, there is, uh, of course, Austin Organs. I would happen to be one of them. Austin Organs comes to mind as an yes. American one. What else was there? Of course, there is also uh, Casavant Frere from uh, Quebec in uh, Canada, I don't remember when Woo-hoo! they first found. <laughs> I don't remember when they were first founded, though. They would have been. They would probably have been mid eighteen hundreds, um, because Cassavant actually studied with Cavai Cole. Aha, so, uh-huh. that's interesting. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Studied then. with, worked for. I don't know. That's the Cassavant comes directly out of the Cavai Cole um, tradition. Aha, uh-huh. interesting. That's good to know, and then of course, uh, and then of course later on in the <clears throat> later on in the twentieth century, when uh, electronics became uh, more possible, that uh, that uh, for the cost of organs to be drastically uh, lowered due to um, transistors and uh, some other electronic components producing the sound and because as far as i remember recording equipment back then was not that recording equipment was not really able to record uh record the pipes the sound of the pipes purely until much later around the late uh 20th century or even early 21st century when studio quality mics first came in that uh, they were able to record uh 
very high quality, uh, very high quality samples, record very high quality samples from pipe organs, which then later on introduced uh, the virtual pipe organ or VPO, which basically means very high quality recordings of individual stops of real pipe organs. And an example of a VPO would happen to be Milan Audio's Hoptwork. And as far as I'm aware, there is a dedicated group of uh, people who still, uh, a group of people who really enjoy uh, the, uh, enjoy Hoptwork, especially with uh, the fact that you can pretty much play any, uh, any uh, pipe, any, uh, <clears throat> any pipe organ in its uh, library, um, that that can be reproduced um, you know electronically from whatever they're playing because of course they would not have the actual pipes of those pipe organs because they were recorded with really high quality high quality microphones to make that possible and as such and of course there were other um other um builders from uh worldwide and uh, not just America who also tried to do something similar to this too uh yeah Rogers instruments from the United States they were the ones who pioneered the hybrid organ, which is an electronic instrument that incorporates real pipes. <clears throat> so basically, you would get a mix of electronic and uh, real pipes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, the electronic samples would sound so good, you would not be able to tell that much of a difference. And even to this day, Rogers have pretty much outdone themselves with at further advancing, with further advancing uh, how... Uh, how well the uh, how well the electronic stops sound to the uh, pipe sounds, and of course Allen organs and uh, Johannes Orgelbo Johannes Orgelbo is, Bo is the <laughs> Orgelbo is the uh, the full name of that. I'm sorry if I uh, butchered that name, but uh, Johannes would be the shorter way to mention that builder from the Netherlands. Johannes, yes, they were also doing something similar and. Uh, Nowadays, though, the Global Organ Group, uh, Global Organ Group, uh, group now has Rogers Instruments and Johannes under uh, under one uh, big brand. Even though Rogers and Johannes still might still work separately, uh, they're still under this one big branch of uh, yeah, known as the Global Organ Group today. Which is really interesting, and also I almost forgot to mention too, uh, from the source that I'm reading of from here, that uh, even in the late 20th century, with the advent of uh, computers, especially personal computers, MIDI was MIDI was uh, <clears throat> a thing that was also uh, introduced as well, which would allow organists to uh, to record record and play back uh, their own performance using a MIDI protocol, and uh, Here's also a really uh, cool, uh, really cool uh, tidbit that uh, most of you may not have known about, may not have known about before. There's this uh, developer who's uh, who's been wanting to unlock the possibilities of of uh, not only not only recording, not only recording your own performances and playing them back with the MIDI protocol, though with the software that he has uh, produced, you're you are actually able to reorganize the notes on that song that uh, that's been played on that MIDI on that uh, layout map, and uh, the name of that software is called Organ Organ Assist, which essentially means that uh, thanks to Organ Assist, you can pretty much uh, 
play any you could pretty much play any song you want uh <clears throat> any song you want from up on a pipe organ or electro or digital pipe organ that is equipped with midi as long as you uh as long as you you as long as you um sort everything out uh properly and also set everything up properly in order to make it work i will definitely also actually leave a link to the website where you can actually download it for yourself and uh, tinker with it uh, for yourself because everything about that software organ assist is on the website which includes uh <clears throat> which includes what organs are compatible with it yes hoptwork is also compatible with with it though there are some limitations with that as far as i'm aware as well from even when uh, even with uh communicating with uh, the developer of uh, this software <clears throat> yeah not only did he mention it in the website though he, though he also clarified with me that he's been working really closely with uh, Johannes uh and basically from Johannes to test uh, to stop the software with Johannes organs as far as i'm aware uh mo most if not all uh, Johannes or organs are immediately uh, compatible with this software and Allen organs would have limited uh, compatibility. Rogers would have pretty good compatibility, I assume, if not as much as Johannes. Though, in general, you more information about the software is, of course, uh, on the website, which you will find in the episode notes for you guys to look up more information yourself. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually. Uh, for the soon future, I would really like to use this uh, software in the future for sure and especially for those who may not be that great with uh <clears throat> with performing or actually just in general like there's just many possibilities with this uh software <clears throat> software that yeah there's many possibilities with uh software to make to to play whatever you to pretty much play wherever you want from it thanks to the uh thanks to thanks to the uh Thanks to MIDI and the such, but uh, yeah, I'm just uh, giving uh, giving a really uh, broad explanation of yeah. what it is. Though, of course, I will leave a link. We will leave a link to the website of the software Organ Assist in the show notes for you guys to look for you Mavericks to look up yourselves because it's a really interesting piece of software, and I haven't really seen anyone post any videos about it as to showing how it works maybe there are some that i don't quite remember i would love to utilize it in the future to introduce it to others and uh, even even uh, get more people involved with the organ thanks to the thanks to that software you know being a thing but also what it all comes down to the modern era too costs of uh, the costs of pipe organs in general have been drastically decreasing thanks to the advent advent of electricity in general especially to make it a lot more easier nowadays to have the sound of a pipe organ in your own home and i almost forgot to mention too garretin garretin's classical pipe organ uh, vst which is a virtual sound virtual sound template that's what vst stands for or something like that which is also another collection of a uh, uh, of a pipe organ uh, uh, high sampled pipe organ uh, sounds which my goodness and thanks to and thanks to the fact that Garretin has made that possible as well not just Milan audio with hopped work that I'm able to practice that I'm able to practice on for example a baroque uh, church uh, baroque church ensemble from the aria player and just practice uh, hymns from my one 
from my one uh, MIDI from my one MIDI keyboard from the comfort of my own home. And of course, it's a very humble setup that I currently <laughs> have right now, but yeah. it still works. And it, it's all thanks to the advent of electricity and with yep. the adv- advancements of technology that it's even possible to even do that nowadays yeah. which is really mind-blowing yep yeah it's amazing you know what you can do you know with the um you know with the the electronic technology that is out there um you know just to, to kind of wrap this discussion up you know we talk about you know things coming full circle well you know with all all the developments you know to the organ you know in terms of you know what could be done with it you know as we move into the 20th and 20th 21st century we start to see you know, organ builders, you know, we all we all love nostalgia. We all love things that inspire nostalgia. So we start to see organ builders, you know, playing on nostalgia. And because you can do now so much with the instruments, we actually see builders starting to go back and recreate older styles. So they're going back and they're building modern Baroque organs. Um you know, and so it's really cool to kind of see, you know, the the instrument has come full circle, you know, to, you know, it's, it, you know, started out as this, you know, this, you know, ba- very basic instrument, you know, and just grew and grew and grew from there and got to the point where you could then make whatever you wanted because there now was no limit, you know, to, to what the technology could do and what you could do with the instrument. So, you know, you, you went from, you know, yes, the organ had to be made this way, you know, and, you know, had to be made this way and could only be made this way to now you can make any instrument you want, you know, and you have modern companies that are making tracker organs, um, you know, because there are there are organists and there are churches who prefer those kinds of instruments. So, you know, it's it's really cool, you know, that, you know, the there, you know, we, we, we talk about how there's there's no music you can't play on the organ. Well, there's nothing you can't do with an organ when it comes to how you make one. So it is it's it's a fascinating instrument. It's always fun to look into the origins of things. And, you know, I, I, I've really enjoyed talking about this. I hope you have, too, Johnny. Oh, yeah, same thing. And we shouldn't forget to mention, uh, too, especially when uh, the pipe organs uh, in general became much larger and larger throughout the Baroque and modern, uh, Baroque, Romantic, and modern era with how larger they grew. That is also where the term King of Instruments came from. And I know some of you in Europe who are listening, you also may have the term Queen of Instruments. I know some of you may also have that on there, too. So I also <laughs> want to have that disclaimer there, too. But in general, from what I from what I have known, it, the general term was the King of Instruments because it pretty much literally is. Yes. It's it's funny though that you say queen of instruments because I've always referred to it as the king of instruments. But yes, yeah, y- you know you know how people like you know name their cars. Well, I, not I, really. Okay, what did you have you have you heard of people naming cars? I believe so. Okay, actually, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's more an America thing. I don't know. I, I've known uh. people <laughs> who have named their cars. You know, and you know, and but I you know per, people referring to oh this car is a girl, this car is a boy. Well, the funny oh. thing is. I, I don't get into that with cars, but I do with pipe organs. <laughs> and and every and every this is gonna make me sound really weird, but every pipe organ I have played has been female. I don't know why. I don't name my pipe organs. <laughs> but yeah. So it's but it's funny when you say queen of instruments, I'm like, Oh yeah, that actually probably would be more fitting. <laughs> uh. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, th- those are just uh, what some That's, European yes. uh, 
people in Europe have been saying as well. More specifically, I think uh, Germany. Some people in Germany would call it the Queen of Instruments, though the general term for the pipe organ in general is just the king. Yes. Literal king. Compared yep. to other instruments uh, worldwide in terms of the in terms of the flexibility with it the versatility of the sounds produced from it and pretty much in general with how creative you can get with the pipe organ it is absolutely insane how creative <laughs> you can get with it and yep. yet it's been really s- what it all comes down to from here and with uh I know I'm going to we're going to repeat ourselves with why we started this podcast but we want to make it very clear we want to make it very clear as well it is due it is definitely due to the advance, advancements of uh the pipe organ that organists today thanks to um the advancements that we had from the previous uh, you know and from the previous generations that we're able to get as creative as creative as we can possibly get as creative as we can possibly get with the pipe organ and i almost forgot to mention to the the same thing with uh you know theater organs of course theater organs introduced some more uh introduced some more twists uh, here and there though some theater organs would still have some classical stops in there you know yeah, i wasn't to i, was, I wasn't gonna more. go down that branch yeah <laughs> i just thought i wanted to briefly mention it anyway since there are theater organs that still have classical stops classical most uh, do yeah most of them do which would add even more to the versatility actually and the such with how much more you can do with it with a theater Mm -hmm. pipe organ or classical pipe organ yeah there definitely the differences there in general but yep yeah. So we we have gone on for quite a while here, Johnny. Mm-hmm. So oh, oh, definitely yeah. definitely a fascinating discussion. Well, I hope that you Mavericks have enjoyed this discussion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there if you have any questions about anything, you know, or anything else you'd like to, you know, like us to explore as far as history goes, you know, definitely definitely drop us a line and let us know that as well. And if you have any suggestions for future podcasts, future topics that you'd like to hear on this podcast, you can tell I've been talking too long because I can't. I'm getting my words mixed. Um, <laughs> words yeah. mixed. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we we would love to hear from you guys what you would like to hear in future episodes. So definitely send us an email, organmavericks at gmail dot com, and let us know. Hmm. And uh, before we close things off, just to briefly uh, remind you, Mavericks, as well, <clears throat> we have mentioned it a little earlier before that uh, since uh, the ho- since uh, the holiday since uh, the Chris- since uh, the Christmas uh, slash holiday uh, uh, weeks are coming up, and because of that, due to the way how we were releasing our episodes was bi-weekly, so once every two weeks, the next potential uh, day the another episode would release would be on the 25th which would land right on christmas day and then the wednesday after that it would be ironically uh new year's day as well so again we would want to we would want to remind you mavericks again that uh due to this uh due to this uh conundrum that we have uh here or yeah a little bit of a conundrum that we have here rob and i have decided that uh the Organ Mavericks podcast will be going on a brief on a brief uh, hiatus or brief break for the holiday season, and uh, we will be returning with another episode on the eighth of January, twenty twenty. Basically, when twenty twenty 
when we get into the year 2020, we'll be back again, of course, on January the 8th. And we'll be able to see clearly. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to make the joke. <laughs> uh, no worries. That was actually really. That was actually really. It's, it's 2020, good. the year for optometrists. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh, I can definitely see that for sure. And anyway. also, yeah, and also another brief uh, reminder again to that. <clears throat> I know we've mentioned this already in the announcements earlier. That on December 12th. December 12th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is when Rob will be premiering will be premiering the A Hearth's Worming Tale Organified Pipe Organ Recital featuring the songs featuring the songs from the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic episode A Hearth's Worming Tale as it is mentioned on the recital's title recital's title <laughs> A Hearth's Worming A Hearth's Worming Tale Organified that yep, yes the uh, yeah the name of the recital also shares the same name of the episode, which makes a lot of sense, since the episode in of itself, of course, does have songs from that particular episode that would, that in my opinion, sound that sound really great on an organ, and also Rob may also have the disclaimer on the on the recital as well that uh, all the arrangements that Rob will be playing will would happen to be you know my arrangements of these songs which uh, is definitely uh gonna be a treat for all of us that will be listening and of course for those uh, for those of you who may be missing it after it premieres do not worry about it it will still be on rob's channel as as it will be in the episode notes and we'll also be getting into the uh social media uh section right now actually and uh i'll go with mine first actually so <clears throat> When it comes to my social medias on on YouTube, I am Johnny Music, J O N N Y space Music. When you search it up on YouTube, you will find a yellow-looking JM logo. And as of the time this episode was recorded on December eleventh, oh, no, 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 my bad. That's <laughs> as of the time this episode was recorded on December fourth. My YouTube channel currently has over twenty-one hundred subscribers. It's been growing pretty. Uh, pretty well so far that's uh, pretty good to see though yes <clears throat> though yes brief so yes uh, briefly as of the time this episode was recorded the channel does have over 2100 subscribers and now as for my facebook and instagram it is at johnny cell productions j-o-n-n-y-s-e-l productions johnny cell productions is the parent company of johnny music to make that clear and for Twitter, I am at Johnny underscore Cell, J-O-N-N-Y underscore S-E-L on Twitter. And now, Rob, what are your <clears throat> social medias? So most of what I do is on YouTube. My channel name is Yensid Organist. Yensid is Disney spelled backwards, and I do covers of Disney, mostly of Disney music, and there's some classical music and a little bit of everything. And then um, I am also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm at Yensid Organist on all of those. And so, fellow Mavericks, that concludes a really exciting episode of the Organ Mavericks podcast regarding the history of the pipe organ. I definitely have learned a lot from this, and I hope you Mavericks have too. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.